The Collector's Collection, Episode 4, The Incredible Hulk. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Collector's Collection, a Marvel Cinematic Universe fan podcast. I am your humble host, Chris, joined by my fellow henchman, Bobby. Hi there. And Steve. What's up? (laughs) Anna's sitting this one out because she is feeling a bit under the weather tonight, so it'll just be the, the three of us here. So intimate. This week, we're going to talk about the black sheep of the MCU, Ed Norton's Incredible Hawk. But before we get into that, guess what? What? I bought some comic books. What'd you buy? Did you know? I did. I picked up uh, Ruins, which uh, shows the Marvel Universe as a sort of dystopia where our favorite heroes' powers and abilities are seriously detrimental to them. (laughs) So you, you pretty much could say everything's in Ruins. (laughs) <laughs> yes hmm. yeah so i recommend i recommend that one it was all right yeah also picked up uh the iron man arc demon in a bottle it's supposed to be one of the more important iron man iron man stories that's it's told over nine issues of the invincible iron man issues 120 through 128 hmm. i'm only about halfway through it though yeah but um, his origin story is in there, and I, yeah, Jensen makes a little bit more sense in the comic than he did to me in the movie. Yeah. But, you know, I say all that to then say, I really don't think comics are for me. Yeah. Like, I, I, I still can't, like, if these were novels, I would be down. I would, like, it wouldn't be a big deal. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying that, like. I don't have any respect for the art or anything like that, but for me, paying five or ten bucks for that amount of reading uh, reading time, I just I don't get it. I can understand why. Well, I, I get it, but I, I I just for me personally, not for I just you. can't get into it. I'm not saying comics are bad. Obviously, it they, sounds like to me you're saying comics are bad. <laughs> so I'll keep reading though. No, you won't. Uh, yeah, well, sure, I will. And if you guys uh, have any storylines that you think I should check out, maybe I will. Planet Hulk. Planet Hulk. I literally have no ideas for you. <laughs> um, I meant the listeners. If the listeners have any uh, ideas on some storylines. Uh, I, mean, I, I was listening to you, and I'm recommending that you read Planet Hulk. <laughs> where uh, where could they send send you those ideas at? The Collector at cjs.productions. And maybe we can even do some bonus episodes on some of the more important Marvel arcs. In any case, The Incredible Hulk came out like a month after the first Iron Man movie in 2008 as the second movie in the MCU. This one is a bit weird because it's kind of like a sequel and a reboot of Eric Bana's 2003 Hulk movie, which is not part of the MCU. <laughs> and even though Ed Norton has an extremely accomplished career... He's the only actor playing a major character outside of, like, Terrence Howard that was thanos from the MCU. Yeah, that, that kind of <laughs> happened pretty fast on us. It's like, oh, sweet. He's in this movie. Awesome. <laughs> what are you doing here, Don Cheadle? Where did you come from? Opening flashback scene. So the actual... You know, the opening scene for the movie is actually a pretty much a recreation of the original TV show. And you could, I don't know about y'all, but if you watch, I don't know if you got that weird sense of like cheesy 80s TV show opening. That's exactly flashing medical equipment moving around. (laughs) X ray, like zing. Like, but I mean, we all know what it was. It was him getting ready to get, you know, take, you know, take his hit. Yeah, and if you, uh, I think if you if you catch like the right moment in that scene, and I I didn't really see this while I was watching it because I probably wouldn't pay that much attention to it. Which there's a certain point in that that opening scene where if you catch it just right, you can see old Cap frozen in the yeah uh, in the ice in the ice. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. Once I like went back and saw the picture, I was like, yeah, that's. That's oh him. my gosh! Hey, he's not in the Valkyrie, which is weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's not where they found him. 
Mm. Yeah, the interesting part for the beginning, I think, is there are certain characters where their backstory has been told so many times in cinema that we all know it. Like casual fans can go into a Batman movie and they know his general backstory. Whereas the Hulk, I don't feel like, is one of those characters. And it was interesting that his entire backstory was basically told in this opening montage that lasted a minute or so. Less than that. Yeah, I mean, it was the opening <laughs> credits. So yeah. it was really an interesting decision to just kind of gloss over his backstory. Um, I do think in some aspects it worked pretty well because I don't think his backstory was ultimately important to this movie. Well, but I mean, for it to be his introduction to the it, MCU, I mean, it was it was just very interesting how quick we went we went through him. It, well, I mean, it it kind of gives you like things here and there throughout the whole movie about like what kind of happened, es- yeah. especially when he meets up, you know, with Mister Blue eventually. Well, when it comes to the Hulk, I now this may be bold for saying, but I feel like out of out of all the out of all the superheroes that we have now, other than animated shows, I think the Hulk is more recognized because of his TV show, which is why I feel like people don't have to, you don't have to spend a whole lot of time going into it because you kind of know he was a scientist. Yeah, but you're talking about like the last live action Hulk show was what, like 70s, 70s or 80s. Yeah. And I mean, he's been in some of the animated stuff recently, more recently than that, but. Yeah, and I'm, even there, they don't really talk about his origin too much. Yeah, I, I don't even know. I mean, most of those are fairly action-based, and he's the big green guy that can, you know, smash things apart. Yeah. And I think, I don't know, I could be wrong, but I feel like that's most people who, if you don't read comic books or you, you know, didn't watch that 70s show, not that 70s show, but, you know, that 70s show, um, <laughs> I think I think a lot of people probably don't know his origin. And like I said, I could be very wrong on that, but it just feels like maybe it was... A lot of comic book movies have been getting criticized around this time. Like I said, Batman specifically for kind of telling the story of the origin over too many times again. to where you're like, I don't need to see his parents get shot again. Yeah. I get it. Like, he was orphaned. It was sad. Uh, boo-hoo. He Go took him in. <laughs> yeah. Go fight I mean, crime now. Yeah. That, we we'd heard it. I want to see. And so it almost felt like they just said, you know what? We're going to avoid that issue. But I think where it felt weird is it's the second movie in the MCU and the first Iron Man that we discussed, that whole movie feels like an introduction to Iron Man. The entire thing takes you from beginning yeah. to end of of how he came to be what we know as Iron Man. Whereas the Hulk was like, "Here's your opening montage, even, even the and nec- we're done." Even the next one in the yeah. series that yeah. we covered first, Captain America, right? So yeah, I mean the the movie proper pretty much opens up with him hiding out and. Where was he at? Brazil. Brazil. In a favela. In a favela. Mm-hmm. He moved around a lot in this movie. He did. I lost track of him. Like, if you blink, you're going to miss the, the little text on the screen telling you where he is now. It was like every scene, he's in a different country. Brazil, Portugal. Like, yeah. Damn, dude. Yeah, and he's supposed to be, like, moving off the grid and stuff, but, like... <laughs> People find him. And granted... <laughs> the, it's not like he's going to like these rich countries or anything, but it still would. Well, let's talk about. It still would cost. I want to talk about the way he got found. So yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> thanks, Stanley. Yeah, first thanks, Mountain Dew. But um, anyway, so once you know, like you notice when he was fixing the wiring and he cut his finger, and then he just runs and he just checks that one spot. He just goes, oh, sweet, thank God. When you're being that careful. I would be checking. <laughs> he forgot the big smudge on the yeah, the huge right smudge. Like, <laughs> oh man, look at that! Whew, that was close. And then all of a sudden, just <laughs> he gets caught because he's oh, whoo. Well, yeah, I guess that would mean Stan Lee was in Brazil because yeah. basically they were saying, oh, we got a you know we got an instance of this yeah. issue over there in Brazil. So, <laughs> who I mean, who knows how Stan Lee came to be in Brazil <laughs> to drink that. <laughs> Specific soda. <laughs> I, I feel like we've all gotten that way when we've had too much Mountain Dew, though. <laughs> uh, huge and green and stuff. I mean, Not swollen and diabetic. <laughs> and talking about the whole factory scene, I did like that he tried to do the typical Hulk line about being angry, and he said, oh, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> huh? That- <laughs> You wouldn't like me when I'm hungry. hungry. <laughs> I don't think anybody would like anybody when they're hungry. Pulse holes. 
Paul Souls was in this movie. Tim Roth was in this movie too. Well, Paul Souls was the voice of the Hulk in one of the animated shows, original animated television series. I'll bet you twenty bucks. I know what role he played. Was it Stanley from the pizza place? Yeah. Hey, we just had pizza for dinner. We awesome. did have pizza. Where, hey, where do we have pizza from? <laughs> Chinello's. I think it was Pizza Hut. Little Caesars. I'll throw links for all of them. <laughs> yeah, Lou Ferrigno showed up in this too. Where at? Uh, A couple times, really. <laughs> talking about pizza again. <laughs> he he uh, he bribed Lou Ferrigno with pizza to get into um, Betty's. Uh... Yeah, I mean this movie. It feels so out of place in the MCU. I mean, I know, like at, th- at this point in the you know in the franchise, this is the second movie. It came out a month after the first one. You know, I don't, I don't know if this is a result of like how overbearing Ed was being about the script or whatever, but this movie in tone and theme, it, it just seems when you take it into the totality of the MCU as we know it right now. This movie does not feel like any parts of it. What I think, and which is actually leads back to the whole, back when we were talking about Iron Man, the reason why they created these movies. Marvel couldn't care less about the movies. They wanted to sell toys. So I think that's one, that's a contributing factor on why the movie wasn't like as poppy and flashy as, as they later become. I mean, I don't, obviously I'm not privy to the, behind closed doors stuff at Marvel Studios, but I, yeah, sure. I mean, you want to merchant, you know, merchandise your your movie and stuff, but like, I, I really feel like there's more to it than that. I would fundamentally disagree with that for one reason. If their goal was to sell toys, I don't think this movie marketed itself very well to kids. <laughs> it was slowly paced. It was darker in nature. The comic relief that we kind of have come to know in the MCU didn't exist in this film. There were a lot of things that kind of made this one, I feel, less marketable to toy production and kids and all the things that later became that this movie probably was, if not the worst, one of the worst in the MCU as far as that aspect. Like being marketable to the youngsters. I think later on, Hulk, you know, in Ragnarok and things like that became much more flashy and kid friendly as opposed to, to this version. But yeah, I mean, like you were saying kind of off mic there a bit ago. There's a couple sequences in this movie that kind of matter, but pretty much everything in between is irrelevant. Yeah, and I think this movie gets almost unfairly judged now. And and, and to be fair, it got unfairly judged the year it came out. So as you mentioned earlier, it came out about a month after Iron Man, which was both from fans and critics, was very well received. And I just think the Hulk in general is a harder sell than Robert Downey Jr. playing Iron Man. But not only that, but 2008 also saw what is by many considered one of the best superhero action films of all time in The Dark Knight. Oh, yeah. So if you are a superhero movie competing in the same calendar year as both Iron Man and The Dark Knight... (laughs) <laughs> you're set up for failure. Yeah. I mean, it's that's a rough timing. Which is why I can see it came in domestically 433rd for box office openings. <laughs> Pretty low. Yeah, I mean it was it was definitely just a tough year. Um and and there was also and obviously not as on a larger scale and I don't think did as well box office wise, but in hindsight has been remembered as a very good superhero movie. Hellboy 2 also came out that year. And that movie was well received as well. So shout out Hellboy remake. Yeah. So I just think 2008 was a rough year for this film to come out. You also mentioned how it feels like the black sheep of the MCU. And I think there are a number of reasons for that. I think you mentioned already the style of it just felt so different without the comic relief and just kind of having that slower story driven as opposed to being action. And I'm not even saying like it was bad because of that. No, absolutely. I think if this movie existed in a vacuum lived on its own yeah it's a really good hulk movie but i think when you plug it into the mcu that's where the wheels start to come off a little bit for i think a lot of people i personally like this movie yeah but i'm also a giant ed norton fan so (laughs) you know he could play anything and i'm gonna be probably okay with it just because i respect his body of work so much however i think 
between the tone of this movie being so different from what ultimately became the MCU and then having a, a huge actor change the way this did, you go back and you've seen Mark Ruffalo now as the Hulk in a number of movies and to go back and see it with Ed Norton all the way back at the beginning in a movie that, you know, because of its timing of release and a few other factors just didn't do as well. I would dare say there's probably a lot of MCU fans right now that don't even realize this film is canon. Yeah. And, and speaking to somebody like Ed Norton being a part of the MCU that, I mean, I can't even fathom him being a part of the MCU. <laughs> Mainly, well, mainly because like we were talking earlier before we started recording, before you even showed up today, Bobby, uh, yeah. the Hulk to me is a supporting character. Yep. And you're going to have Ed Norton. Because he's, he's just... He's an, a, you're going to have an actor on the caliber of Ed Norton play what is essentially... A supporting character. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, that's not I, a shot at Mark Ruffalo. I no, mean, not at all. This guy was in a movie just, what, a year or two ago in Spotlight that won you know the Oscar for Movie of the Year. He's no slouch. Mark Ruffalo... Yeah, for sure. He's a hell of an actor. But I feel like Mark Ruffalo, in that regard, is willing to take the role he's given, whereas Edward Norton is known for, I will take the role that you gave me, and now I'm going to rewrite it, I'm going to make it my own, I'm going to put my stamp on it, and I think for him to be the powerhouse that he is, and that kind of overwhelming presence he is, or at least that we hear about him being on set, especially when you're playing a supporting character, that's just not going to fly, so... I think the change, as much as I love Ed Norton, I think the change ultimately for the MCU was for the best. Yeah, for, I, I agree. Yeah, I mean, I got, no, I got no disagreements. And shout out to Liv Tyler in this movie too. I yep. mean, she she gets kind of a bad rap as an actress, but well, I think Liv Tyler needs to stop dating so many guys. <laughs> First, goes up into space, has to go go on an asteroid and split it in two. Next, she has a boyfriend that gets shot with gamma radiation. Not to mention, she was basically an, you know, quote unquote evil stepmother in Jersey Girl. <laughs> I did like her in Empire Records, though. That's yeah. that's one of my like, one of my favorite like '90s movies. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen it, so I wouldn't know. She was good in The Wonders too. Yeah, Lord of the Rings. Oh yeah, that's right. Those are so boring to me. What? Moving on. <laughs> We're done. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. Like I've tried a couple times to watch Lord of the Rings, and they are so boring to me. You're not really a huge fan of high fantasy, though, right? I mean, like you don't, you're not a except big fan of like, Game in, of Thrones, except in video games. Okay, like I'll play the hell out of some Skyrim's, but don't hand me a Fire and Ice and expect me to even read it. Yeah. It's going to look cool on the shelf. They do look cool on the shelf. Oh, you, oh, That's where mine have been since I got them, but I've watched the show. Oh, you've read it? Nope. Not the slightest. I have kids. I don't have time to read a 900-page book anymore. But, yeah, uh, you know, because she's, she's typically not looked upon very no. highly for yeah. her acting prowess, but I think she did a good job in this uh you know, supporting role with with beside Ed Norton. I mean, I yeah. I, I I can't imagine it's any easy thing to yeah <laughs> to uh, appear with him on screen, especially you know being that integral to the right. story. And Tim Roth is also a hell of an actor. I mean, they I like I like yeah. I like I, I I like Tim Roth in this movie, but I didn't like Tim Roth in this movie. Yeah, it's like you like Tim Roth because you're supposed to like yeah, Tim Roth. I mean, you, you've got you've got Reservoir Dogs, Tim Roth. You got Pulp Fiction, Tim Roth. Wasn't he in like four rooms? Yeah, if Tarantino touched it, he was. Probably, yeah, probably, he was there. Probably there somewhere. He was there. <laughs> yeah. Like it'd be great if during during the Hulk he was like, "All right, come on, honey bunny." Yeah, like, oh, <laughs> <Right. no." laughs> Yeah, I I do agree with you. Like at the, like at the beginning of the movie where you where you first meet him, I like him, like him, like him. Yeah. As it moves slowly towards the end, like I just. Start like start. Oh, once like he be, really hating the way he is. Like know. I, th I think he was. I think he was all right when he got the first injection of uh, the the super serum. Yeah, I guess we should say that. Like, uh, you know, the Hulk in general, and you know what would later in the movie become Abomination. All that was a part of the same, or at least like a 
an attempt to revitalize right. the super soldier program that which, we got which I mean you Captain even, America from. Yeah, you even hear the general talking about it. Yeah. Like, you know, back in World War II, we started right. a program, blah, 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 blah. So I'm just gonna hypothesize here. I think, you know, we know that Ed Norton kind of rewrote a lot of the script. I'm just gonna guess that considering I've heard and everybody's heard if you follow his career that he's nothing in the world but a nightmare to work with. Yeah. He was just intimidated by Tim Roth and just intentionally, as the movie went on, rewrote his script <laughs> to to make him worse and worse so like, <laughs> he could have the stage. I'm just going to assume that's what Ed did. Let's just hope because Ed, the dialogue in the movie wasn't, wasn't the best. It was not the best. It took on a way more serious tone than I think you need a Hulk movie to be. Yeah. I mean, again... All the MCU is basically lighthearted takes on, yeah. for the most part, all these old comic book characters. Yeah. But I think, you know, I know Ed's a big fan of the Hulk. He said that over and over again in interviews and stuff. Right. And, um, is he though? He is. Is he? Because he destroyed that, that part. I don't think he destroyed it at all. I mean, no. I just think that the movie that he made shouldn't. I mean, it's a good standalone movie about the Hulk. And so I think that's ultimately what, fast forward 20, 30 years, let's say the MCU's done, you look back at this. One of the things anybody will tell you, and I think we mentioned it in the very first episode when we're doing Captain America, is if you're up to date with the MCU films and you go back and rewatch a previous one, you're going to see things in it that ultimately led to where you are in the MCU now. And that's true of almost all of the films. There's a couple, and we'll get to them, but there's a couple that don't fit that mold. This movie fits that mold 100%. If you didn't know this film existed and you watched the MCU timeline, you're missing nothing. Yeah, and that's and that's exactly what I was about to say. I was like, I at the end of the day, I could care I honestly could care less about this movie. Yeah. I get it. I got it with I got it with Iron Man, which was great to watch. Right. I'm sure I'm going to feel the exact same way with Thor. I'm like, oh yeah, look at it. Like, oh yeah, like, oh, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. The Hulk, though, for me personally, my my was it was tough to watch, especially storyline wise. I mean, there there was no, I mean, there was a a framework for uh, some a story, but like for the most part, it's just your standard simple action movie. Featuring yeah. So let, let me ask this: Would it be fair to say this was essentially a B movie script? Starring A-list actors. Yes. I won't even say that, man. I mean, because, again, not to beat this dead horse to death. <laughs> well, that would be quite a feat. <laughs> beat it so hard it comes back to life. And then, it and then you dies kill again. it again. Beat it again. Uh, but the movie is good. Like, it, it gets shit on a lot. Because, yeah, but I, because wonder if, I wonder if we see it as good because the actors are good and they're recognizable faces, right? If I were to watch the same film, right, and Ed Norton Well let's say is Ed Schmorton that I've never seen in the movie and we got Biv Tyler and Rick Roth, I don't know <laughs> that I would have the same feeling towards it. Well, and I could be wrong, but let's, let's choose a random actor like Eric Bana. <laughs> like, yeah, that's that's pretty random. Let's since let's, he played in the movie before this one, what? but okay. <laughs> but I think really I good. I think I saw that one, but I'm I'm not you sure. You definitely don't need to see that one. That was really that not. was back yeah, in what 2003. I mean, yeah. if you want to watch it, he was good in Troy. I'll give him that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you if you want to watch it, I'm not gonna. It's not part of the MCU. Don't he, care. <laughs> it's, it's not at all. But you might get some origin out of it. And I would be interested to see what all was cut. Like you see the reports of like 70 plus minutes. Were cut of Ed Norton's kind of rewrite of the script. Well, that that seventy, <laughs> like that, what was cut? That seventy minutes, I don't think, I don't think it was filmed. Um, but they cut like seventy minutes off of like, yeah, script right. wise. Like, and scenes. it just makes me wonder, like, but, um, you know, what I, was it? But I think it was a lot of origin stuff. I, right, right. Which um, I think that's what this needed. To be honest, I really feel like it's what it needed because otherwise, it's just another action movie. That kind of jumps into the storyline, and I don't want to pick on it, but so bad and sit here and act like, oh, this movie had no storyline. It did. It had a storyline, but it just felt somewhat generic. Well, and I well, really wonder, had it not been for the recognizable faces and the A-list actors, would it have would it have felt different? Well, think about this too, though. This was a quasi continuation of right. what they showed in two thousand three. Now, I don't, I don't 
I remember, I, I think I saw the movie, but I don't remember shit about it. So they, they may have made some of the choices they did because of that film. There was a cut that Nor- Ed Norton and the director both wanted that ran, I think, like 135 minutes. Mm-hmm. So it would have added 15 minutes on yeah. to the total runtime. Which could ultimately have been quality footage. A game changer, yeah. Yeah, it could have made a, I mean, 15 minutes getting cut out of a film is, is a big deal. Could be, yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I looked. I mean, I didn't. I didn't like do a deep dive or anything, but I, I couldn't find like any version of this movie that had that intact. Because I, I don't think there's a director's cut of this movie. I don't think so either. I'm sure there is somewhere, but not for purchase. <laughs> sure, there is a. It's sitting on Ed Norton's shelf. Do you sitting think, on his shelf. Do you think this movie would feel like it had more of a callback if it had just been their first choice in Mark Ruffalo from the jump? Or do you still think it would feel if if out of place? Everything equal. Everything equal, but every, it's Mark Ruffalo. Everything equal is yeah. Mark Ruffalo. I think it only elevates it slightly. Okay. As far as like, so in, you attribute the the lack of MCU feel more to the style, the lack of comedy, that type of thing, more than the actor change. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Really, from everything I read, it's pretty much Ed's fault, for better or worse, that the yeah. film came out the way that it did. Right. I mean, again, because I I really enjoy the movie. It's it's not a bad movie, but it doesn't fit in the MCU. Yeah. Um, but you know, there there are a few more scenes that I wanted to talk about. Yeah. You know, going back to Tim Roth uh, after the first time that he got a, the injection. You know, when he meets uh, Hulk on the battlefield, and that's for the I, second time. That's when I thought that I think he was had pretty a, cool. Then <laughs> we had another Iron Man type thing where <laughs> that dude died. You're dead. Yeah. Where he hit that tree <laughs> so damn hard. <laughs> like, oh, God. I know I did not expect to see him back. I, I mean, I, I really didn't. I was like, like that is an anticlimactic death. Who's the villain? <laughs> I know. Well, he may, have a, he may have had a lot of broken bones. Oh, he did. We saw him. I mean, he but, was. Yeah. But he, he did made... like that Jason popping one eye open and coming back to life thing. Oh, yeah. He did do the one eye pop. <laughs> Well, I kind of, I kind of half expected him to stay alive because he already had the injection in him. So, yeah, but yeah, he, he healed hit. really quick, man. That's yeah. that injection is no joke. Yeah, like so, all this time that he got spent getting uh, scooped up off the battlefield, <laughs> ran to the hospital wherever they were at the the headquarters, healed really quick, and no, no sign of healing in in that time. No, frame. right, right, no sign at all. And just fast forward ten and, minutes, yep. and then. The uh, why don't you tell him yourself, Colonel Ross or whatever? Mm-hmm. And the time it takes for someone to leave the room with him and come back, he's miraculously mm-hmm. up and walking around. Hey. <laughs> the power of serum. That's the power of serum, baby. <laughs> now with lemon scent. Oh, my! And my son, we were watching it the other day. He he kept referring to the um the sound weapons as data weapons for some reason. I was like, what powerful you, weapon. Like, what are you even talking about? What's a data it, weapon? Look at the data almost, weapon, data. <laughs> almost held Hulk at bay with those things. Pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah, but then he saw he saw Betty struggling with her dad, and he was like, oh, hell no. <laughs> so, nah, give me these doors. <laughs> yeah, like he was climbing Everest or something. Strong star. Before Actually, before all that started... When they had Ed Norton trapped in the trapped in the bridge between the buildings, yeah. like the causeway or whatever you want to call it, when they fired those gas canisters in, <laughs> see, you see how easy it penetrated through the the first set of glass. It should have continued going. Damn, it just goes through. That's, that's that. I don't know, cheesy. Cheesy CGI. Yeah, then it wouldn't have been as somatic as no, it was. But I thought it'd be great. <laughs> I'm gonna give you the answer that Steve gave me. Last That's episode. always the answer in movies. Why did this happen? Because it was cinematically pleasing. Exactly. That's the only reason. Was, I thought it was great. I'm gonna laugh. The same reason that wearing half a car on each hand is boxing gloves yeah. is <laughs> just cinematically pleasing. Well, why did he do that? Because he's that strong. Yeah. Why? It's actually funny too. Like if you watch him as he's kind of lumbering down the street towards Abomination, yeah, he's like grabbing cars to the right and left of him that do not impede his path at all, and just slinging them out of the way for no reason. 
like just mass destruction because I can. You see though, not my Mercedes, not my Mercedes. No, <laughs> it wasn't even in your way. So we were talking earlier about off mic. We talked a lot about this. Movie we did. Yeah. We did. We probably to the detriment of the show. Yeah, but we, we don't normally like when we go into these. I like to go in without anybody really knowing what the other person is going to talk about. But Steve showed up here a couple hours early, and we <laughs> talked a lot about it. Yeah. <laughs> but I think I think for as 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 bad as this probably was for Ed Norton's career, if you go back and you look at his filmography prior to this, there are several films to be cherished <laughs> primal fear before you even like name any other ones primal fear was his first acting role in a film and if you haven't seen primal fear fix that because it's it got, is brilliant it's got richard gear in it too it, it does yeah like, like don't look anything up about that movie go into it blind just watch it and appreciate it for what it is and at the end just remind yourself like this was this man's debut on film yeah. it's incredible but, you know, also to go on and do Rounders, American History X, Fight Club, 25th Hour. I think in a way it was almost setting him up for failure in a sense to do this film. Because if he ultimately just follows the rules and acts in an early MCU film like this the way he you know is probably expected to, it probably does his acting career no justice. But then for him to go in and do what he did, which I'm sure he does on most of the films he's in, and tailor it to himself probably did the MCU no justice. And so I just think from the jump, like I said, as, as big of a fan as I am, and well, as I, much as I could talk for an hour about his other movies, I just don't think this was a match well, that I, made I, sense. I know that he was approached for the 2003 version, and he turned it down. <laughs> and then something sparked him, you know, for this second one. Something. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm sure the money wasn't terrible. Oh, well, wasn't, I mean, wasn't wasn't Robert Downey Jr. great? No, though. Well, no, no, of course not. But with a budget of one hundred and fifty million dollars, I'm sure that wasn't too bad. Yeah, but that was sure a, they offered him a, some good money. That's a budget for the whole movie, not just Ed Norton. Yeah, but I'm still, sure he was a decent chunk of that, though. Yeah, that's what, what I'm saying. So, I mean, you if you got the money, spend it. <laughs> well, you're not wrong. Yeah. You're not wrong. But yeah, I, I think you're right. The, letting well, first of all, casting Ed Norton. And then letting him, well, I don't know if you let Ed Norton have control like that. He just kind of <laughs> takes it. Yeah, but Can you imagine those, those uh... two those those two things. Though I think you're right. I mean, luckily we're not talking about an Iron Man or a Captain America movie. We're talking about right. Hulk, who is yeah. essentially yeah. a supporting character. And so. I mean, I think they initially probably had sequels in mind for this as well. Well, yeah, because I mean, the, they show us the, guy, the new villain. Yeah. yeah the, yeah, and they actually still have him on the lamp. Yes, like they do. More movies. Yeah, um, and they. I think I read that they've just kind of had a hard time placing him at this point. Like it's hard to figure out where to put him, which makes sense. But if you look at every and, other and, of the three, and by the way, we're talking about the the, the, leader, um, yep, the leader, Mr. Yeah. Blue, or right. or the teacher, or yeah. whatever. No, 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 no. He's called the leader. The, oh, that that's what I meant to say. The leader, sorry. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, they had him, you know, lined up and ultimately went nowhere with it. And it's also a testament, you know, you can look at the other three of the Avengers outside of the Hulk, and all of them have had multiple follow-ups to their films. Whereas this one, to this day, it's the only Hulk movie standalone within the within the MCU. I, I think I read that Mark Ruffalo says there might be one coming, but he's not sure. Yeah, I think you can definitely do it. I think he was such a major role in Thor Ragnarok that you could argue that was kind of a Thor and Hulk movie. I definitely think there's room to do it now that he's a more established character. Mark Ruffalo has grabbed that character and ran with it. I think there's room to do it. I just wonder, with as deep as they are in the storyline... Do we're, we need we're, it? Yeah, we're recording this at the time. We're about a week after Captain Marvel hit theaters. And only like 30-something days from Endgame. Yeah, so I mean, we're deep into the story at the time of this recording, and I just think to revisit trying to do a solo Hulk movie, unless they kind of did do that, that Planet Hulk-style storyline, which I don't know they Let's, could do. If if they do, it's going to be... I don't think... They, they may not even start working on something until after Endgame. Right, yeah. So... Yeah, I know they, they also had Abomination slated to be a part of um, Age of Ultron, but they eventually cut him from yeah, that. Yeah, and I think, and I and I have no knowledge of it, if this is the reason or not, but you mentioned earlier 
that we all kind of agree that the Hulk in general feels like more of, especially in the MCU, feels like more of a, a supporting character. Yeah. And if that's the route they're going, why force another, you know, yeah, or, or, where uh, he's the guy? Why else, do it? Yeah, or else in a couple of years we'll just be talking shit it, about another yeah. Hulk movie. <laughs> well, maybe maybe what they what they might do is maybe keep it as filler. Like let's say right. let's say they run into a tight spot and it's like we got nothing. Well, they they put out a Hulk movie. They they have put out like um short one shot movies. Yeah. That kind of fill in some gaps here and there, so I need to look up to see which ones they've done. They they could do something like that with Hulk, yeah, like as a standalone, you know, like twenty five minute, you know, yeah. short thing. But I think it's really important, and I know we've said it, but I think it's really important when you think about this movie or go back and watch this movie, or remember it, whatever the case may be. It's important to look at it through two lenses as a standalone Hulk movie, which in that regard, I give it a B or so. And then as part of the MCU, which if I'm looking at it as that is concerned, I mean, it, it's an utter failure because, again, if you showed someone today all of the MCU films and left this one out, nobody would know. What did you miss? <laughs> Nobody would cry. You did. Well, it's not even that. It's not. You just didn't miss anything. There's yeah. no callbacks at all. There's none. I mean, literally, other than the fact that, yes, this character is ultimately in the Avengers movies and moves forward with them. Other than that, there is no callbacks. Whereas, you know, you go back and you watch Captain America and you see the Tesseract, which you'll see has a huge role in the films. Yeah. You go back and watch Iron Man and there's definitely callbacks in that as well. You don't want to give too many spoilers, but there are none in this. There is nothing that ties this movie to ultimately where the MCU went. Yeah. And going back to the leader's character at the end there, like that whole push to bring out abomination was just, it was rushed. Yeah, it was really rushed. Yeah, and it it, it just I don't I don't I, I don't want to say it was out of place in the movie, but it just felt it just you know the, during the the whole rest of the film a certain a certain flow had kind of emerged, and then and maybe this is because they cut out ultimately fifteen or so minutes right. from what Ed and the director ultimately wanted out. But just that that whole the whole feel of of um, bringing abomination to fruition just felt off. Yeah, the third act of this movie definitely felt off. That said, I do think their ultimate battle scene was pretty good. Yeah, I oh, did yeah. enjoy that. Oh yeah, like when he was falling out of the helicopter. Oh no! Just, and and then, <laughs> and then it showed it like, <laughs> showed him like a hole in the ground. I was like, what credits? <laughs> oh. Well, Son of a gun. That Hulk was failed. Awesome. <laughs> Weird movie. Very anticlimactic at the end. So speaking of the end, um, the scene in which, you know, we see Norton there meditating or whatever he's doing and shows Days Without Incident, opens his eyes, they're green, and he kind of gives the camera a smirk. Did you interpret that as that was the moment where he learned to control it? Yeah. 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 Still doesn't control it yet, though. <laughs> That's what I was going to say, because <laughs> moving forward, we're talking about how there's no callbacks to this. That's not the case of moving forward in the MCU at all. I don't think he'll ever. I mean, I'm sure he might. Yeah. I don't so think he'll ever. my whole experience with Hulk comes from like brief remembrances of Lou Ferrigno yeah. as the Hulk. And that was way back in like 85, 86. I think it was even earlier than that. Well, for me personally. Well, okay. When you saw it. Yeah. You know, as a little, little dude. Right, right. <laughs> I never watched the show. Well, I never seriously watched it, yeah. but I remember seeing it. And the whole thing was always, you know, don't get me angry. Right. Yeah. But in, and, you know, again, no experience with the comic book. So I don't know like what his whole transformation deal is in that. But in this one, his heart rate just has to get what 200 or above yeah, to change. So. And so that was kind of weird to yeah, me. Yeah. And it wasn't just anger. You know, it was anything that got yeah. him there. We saw that in like the, the Any, love scene with him and Liv Tyler. Yeah. They're getting a little hot and heavy and he's got to stop because his heart rate's getting too high. Not even just a little bit. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was, it was kind of surprising um, to see that route. But again, and you know, I'll, I'll continue to say this on probably every show we do, but I think cinematically it made sense, right? Like an entire movie was created in the 90s 
where the entire premise was you have to drive this bus and it can't go above the speed or below the speed limit. 55! Or you all die, right? And so cinematically watching that gauge, they were able to make an entire movie out of that cinematic premise. Like watching this gauge creep towards that number worked. Well, remember... After and what, so that's kind of what they did here. You hear that beep. You hear it getting faster. You look. It's approaching 200. Just cinematically, I just feel like it was easier to do that because you can measure that. You can give this the, the audience that feeling of, oh, he's almost there, as opposed to, you know, what is he supposed to <laughs> I'm getting really angry right now. <laughs> well, I, no, I, I get that. But it, it seemed that my first watch through this movie like a week and a half ago or whatever, it gave me the impression that they changed it from, you know, the typical don't make me angry. Oh, yeah, they definitely did. Yeah. To just elevated heart rate mm-hmm. just so he could not have sex with Liv Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> the whole movie, the whole premise of the movie was based on. It was that. Steven Tyler's <laughs> only request. <laughs> Look, my daughter could be in this movie, but she can't fuck Ed Norton. <laughs> we got it here. Oh, that's also the scene where. Um, we get the purple pants that you're. If you read the comics, you're probably used to seeing them, and at least in the older ones. Yeah, that's so. That was another one of the you know movie magic moments. In this is you know every time that he would transform into the Hulk, he just <laughs> the legs had on the legs rip clean off. That's the right. Waist. The, the waist. waist. I have that waist. <laughs> the elastic is amazing. Is the <laughs> what was Levi using? That's that's what I want to know. But. Yeah, I I I've always wondered how much he spent in pants. Lots. Like what his budget was per year. More than he made at the factory I'm a, in Brazil, I, probably. Yeah. <laughs> I'm allotted sixty thousand dollars a year for pants. That means I can only turn into the Hulk twice. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he wasn't making sixty grand a year working in Brazil at a factory, hey, and he wasn't what, even what? on payroll. He was getting paid like day labor wages. Yeah. <laughs> What's the exchange rate on it? Couldn't tell you. Yeah. Not an expert in finance. But since he wasn't <laughs> on the books, he could pay him whatever he wanted. It's Ed Norton. He made it work in his favor. <laughs> this movie, for some reason, didn't have any post-credit scene. So. I mean, it did. It, it, they it, just it, didn't it, put it, it post-credit. It was post-pre-credit. <laughs> it was pre-post-credit. There we go. Uh, Yeah. Even seeing even seeing Tony Stark walk in there felt out of place with the rest of the movie. <laughs> yeah, like how the world are you? I expected to see Sam Jackson before. I, saw I didn't expect anyone from any the MCU. Them. No, I didn't. Because this movie doesn't feel like an MCU movie. None of it. Now, again, Not to be fair, when this came out, nobody could have had that feeling yet. Sure, it's it's in the hindsight. Like I said, it's when you go back and look for the callbacks and why is this movie relevant to where the MCU well, ultimately the, is. There's the callback. You're, Tony yeah, Stark that's true. Was that I was end? wrong. There is one callback. <laughs> Tony Stark is there. Okay. Well, to be fair, and I probably should have mentioned this earlier too. So when he was on the computer mm-hmm. looking for, I guess I, I don't know what it was. It was he was look, trying to help find a cure or something like that. Trying to find some files. And while he was scanning, it happens really fast. That's why it's not really mention worthy. But they've mentioned Spider Man. They um about they were looking at bioweb, bioweb for humans essentially. He mentions it one time. Yeah, you also see like Shield up there. Yeah, and, Nick Fury. Uh, Nick, Nick Fury. Fury. And then and now, all right. So this one is because I watched this scene a couple times. I even did like a slow fast forward rewind. They say when he's yelling at the storm, you see this one bright like thing come down in the middle of the sky. And some people say it's Thor's hammer. But that's what my that's what Anna said. It's, that, it's, well, it's water falling off the cave that caught light, caught the lightning at the perfect time. Well, I I, th- I guess Anna was saying that it was like a pretense to him and Thor's relationship because, you know, he's in the cave looking at Betty and then she said he got struck by lightning, but I... No, he never got struck by lightning. He this, The lightning scared him. Yeah, that's what I thought happened and he yeah. bumped his head. Yeah, he's like, oh, like oh! And then he throws the rock and screams at nothing. But <laughs> it, th- now, and I will say, if you don't like fast forward it, like slow, keep going through it. That it does look like something's falling out of the middle of the sky. 
but it is just a range because I watched. I was like, "What is that?" And you see a raindrop fall as soon as the cinematic lightning strikes, <laughs> and it just—that's a callback to everything Steve says all the time. <laughs> uh, cinematic. When that struck, it just caught. It was just—I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you know, I know at the end of these we normally do like a final thoughts thing, but I mean, I guess we could go around and kind of yeah, talk about our favorite parts and least favorite parts real quick. Do that. What say you, Bobby? Favorite part? Uh, beginning credits and then the ending credits were actually my favorite parts. <laughs> if I had to mention something specifically about the movie... Not much about it at all. It's yeah, I, I got, I got, I really have not. I do not have a lot to say about it because I've ca- I caught myself many times picking up my phone during the movie, and starting the endless scroll. Just <laughs> and I was like, I, I'm done. I never mind. Let me put it down. So for favorite parts, I I wouldn't say I really had any. Fair enough, Steve. I thought the ending fight scene was probably one of my favorite parts. I think the the little brief teaser of the leader, had it been followed up upon, could have been good. And I think if they ever do ultimately come back to that actor and, and bring him in and do that, I think that, you know, giving it like that callback that kind of doesn't exist now would be really good. And that would kind of leapfrog. Even though it was a really brief moment, I feel like giving it that callback to where, okay, this now works in the MCU. At least this is where I met the leader, and now all these films later, here he is, and here's what he's been doing. That would be fine. But if you know if they don't do that, then it's just kind of this scene that got lost in the shuffle, basically. So I mean, that's more of a hypothetical one. So if I had to like nail one down, you know, just that ending, that ending fight scene, because a lot of times in a movie like this, you know, we could kind of describe it as like a B side script with A actors. I think the crescendo a lot of times falls flat. You know, even mentioned it in the Iron Man movie. You know, as good as that movie was, like that ultimate showdown was good, but yeah, it kind of left you desiring more. Didn't have that extra oomph. Yeah, whereas I felt like this one, you know, throwing cars around and running through the streets, it it, it worked. So that probably my favorite part. They did that in Iron Man too. They did. <laughs> Iron Man two or Iron Man comma two? Iron Man comma two as well. <laughs> <laughs> As for me, I'm going to have to agree with Steve here that the ending scene, I mean, while parts of it were rushed, I felt like and kind of wonky, like leading up to him becoming the abomination. Once that was totally out there, the fight scene, Bruce jumping out of the helicopter onto the street and then the famous words, Uh oh, Hulk smash. They did get that in there. Yep, and yeah. it, that was um, Lou Ferrigno that voiced that that uh, that part. Yep, I, I think he cool. voiced all of the Hulk's utterances. I think. Um, there's a couple uh, other things he does in there, and uh, I think all of that was I, him. I don't remember him saying anything else. I know his his first words were supposed to be Betty, but he never. Yeah. In the movie, they cut that. Yeah. Maybe all the grunts it's, and stuff. It's some of that seventy minutes that was that was removed. It was just seventy minutes of Lou Ferrigno grunts. <laughs> he still got it though. Yeah. Yeah, still got it. He still got it. <laughs> all right, so least favorite part. I think Bobby might have <laughs> everything the meat and potatoes point. between the opening uh, credits and ending yeah, credits. <laughs> um the part when it fades into him um on a chair. Getting shot with gamma radiation, worst part. Then like a weird 30-second series of events of him throwing Liv Tyler around. And then Captain America. And then <laughs> America just, hey. Like. Well, so the original idea for that for that scene while that was even in there is because he, the opening scene was supposed to be Bruce sitting in Antarctica like about to kill himself or something. Yeah, and they cut that out because they said it was... <laughs> little rough for a movie that kids ultimately could go see which i mean is hard to disagree with and then somehow he happens to run across captain america <laughs> <laughs> oops that's a callback sort of i'm I, you know what i'm glad they ended captain america or at least like they did that to captain america in that movie just so that one like split second snippet in all made you sense. can kind of <laughs> was that captain america yeah 
Yeah, it was kind of like uh, seeing Tom Morello in the cave in Iron Man. It's like, <laughs> wait, 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 pause that. Pause what that. Back that? up. That? <laughs> yeah, for me, I'd say my least favorite part was kind of a big part. It was basically that whole third act of once Tim Roth started to heal and ultimately transform to Abomination. I think once he was Abomination, like you said, and you saw the the kind of finished product, he looked really badass on screen. And like I said before, the fight scene was actually my favorite part. Looks like a super mutant from Fallout. Yeah, but that whole lead up, <laughs> the whole lead up and transformation to that just felt yeah, it was really oddly paced and just it made me as a viewer feel like I missed something. And I watched it twice, and both times I'm like, okay, what did I miss? Right? There's that scene where he's looking in the mirror and his spine is starting to you know come out, and I'm like, what? And then the next time you see him, he's totally, he's a normal human again. And then we see him again in, you know, finished abomination. So I'm like, did he somehow have control over this? It didn't feel like it, right? He, no. It, it was just a very weird pace. No, what, it just felt it? oddly edited. Are you just talking about, okay, so you're just talking about the speed. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it just felt like there was, it was glossed over so quickly and so oddly paced to fit it into that kind of third act that. You know, while it led to a really cool scene at the very end, I felt like everything leading up to that just felt really, really oddly paced. Yeah, yeah, I got no disagreements there, and that—that's probably my least favorite part of it too. Um, yeah, Look I mean, at you I, just agreeing. I know you've been I'm agreeing a lot. So agreeable today. Today, yeah. said man, I got. Well, all right. I think that's going to do it for us this time. We appreciate you taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, comments, or theories, you can email us at thecollector at cjs.productions or comment on the show notes for this episode at collectorpodcast.com. Until next time. Just reading through it, the film got it pretty close. What the fuck? We about to die, y'all. Our Dark Lord awakens. <laughs> He's here. <laughs> <laughs>